0: Africa Business Report on the Money Show. Victor Homuswan of the Africa Business Report. Why are Australians committing to help Zimbabwean miners? Well, Bruce, good evening. <laughs> because they have a lot of interest
1: in the Manikaland, which is where Zimbabwe, if you like, meets Mozambique. There are lots of Australian miners in in the southern African region. And I'm not talking huge companies. I'm talking about mining services companies, companies that supply equipment and all those kinds of things. So Australia, if there's one country in the world that has a lot of interest in the area, is that. So when you have an interest in an area like that and you have Zimbabwe, that has lots of small-scale miners. Remember, any mining license you get in Zimbabwe, most part of Zimbabwe, you're going to have to deal with small-scale miners because there are areas where there are only small-scale miners doing all their things with their pens and whatever. So you've got to make sure that you understand that community. I think it's a smart investment, but also because in the new age, if you like, doing business in Africa requires a lot of partnerships. So I think Australians might have thought, well, if the Chinese have found a way of building huge infrastructure in return for mining rights, we might as well build our own. It's, I think it's part of economic diplomacy here. But what they're doing they are going to train these small-scale miners in operations. And they are talking about training programs already, including mineral policy and economics, which is very cynical, considering the policy, the mining and, and policy in, uh, policies in Zimbabwe. But they are going to be running courses in June and July already this year. So the, I look at it as economic diplomacy, getting to build a good relationship with Zimbabwe by going to the heart of economic activity, which is where the small-scale miners are.
0: Economic diplomacy can only be more effective than quiet diplomacy ever was. <laughs> Huawei, these are the cell phone makers, they connecting rural Zambians yeah. to the cell phone grid. It's a fabulous story.
1: It is, because, I mean, they are talking hundreds, 169 towers in 10 provinces. Now, think about what cell phone technology did in South Africa. And if you think it did well, Bruce, if you remember far back as 1992, 93, what it did turning... Communities that had no communication technology. I should know. I grew up in a village in rural village in Limpopo, and
0: I grew up going, in a rural village in the Free State. In the Free State. And, and so I remember, do you, know. you remember cranking the handle yeah. of the phone on the exactly. party
1: line? Exactly. Yeah. And waiting for your call that would come in thirty minutes, and then go away and come back because you know. But now driving to my village now and finding how technology changed that almost instantly by planting one tower in the middle of nowhere. That's what how he's doing with the government of Zimb- of Zambia. Zambia, remember, has woken up. this information technology story and they're realizing they cannot get civilization they can't get Economic growth going. They have been doing well on economic growth and democracy and stability, but they realize that they need this. So 169 towers in ten provinces. That's how far this is going to go. And and I'm very impressed that Huawei is going to be finding good relationships on in areas that matter. I always like a good technology story.
0: Akianastasius tells me it's Huawei, even though it's spelt yeah. Ha It's like yeah, a well, he, He's
1: talking to a North Soto man. <laughs> Look, it doesn't matter how modern I try sound. I'm not Mandarin okay. compliant.
0: He, here here is a cell phone company in Zambia. Um, <laughs> then, there's the big hydropower project in Ethiopia, and a yeah. lot has been put on this hydro, uh, hydroelectric yeah. power project. It's, it seemed terribly ambitious and terribly good, yeah. and now it seems to have been put on hold.
1: Give a three. It's, it's one of the three hydroelectric projects. There's a the Grand Millennium Dam, there is the, I, I keep calling it by the old name, but they are part of a five-year growth and transformation plan of the government of Ethiopia. But the problem here is it won't be ready, and, and I think it's merely a story of those huge infrastructure projects. We had it in Hauteen here with the highway improvement. Do you remember the World Cup? I do. Some of the you some, of the, the some of the highways couldn't be ready by the World Cup, and it always happened with happens with huge projects like this. But I think in in Ethiopia, in the mo- in most terms, it's because of the challenges that the project, the hydroelectric project, were facing on the EIA front, environmental impact assessment. There were challenges as to whether the Ethiopian strategy to become the power exporter by catching water on the on the Nile River and all the other big rivers of Ethiopia was environmentally sustainable. So maybe the investors held back a bit at one stage. I don't have the details, but it would have made sense that if you had that kind of challenge on the sustainability front and globally, they would have been delayed. And of course, as, I, as we say, as we know, with these huge projects, you are going to... So they are going to have to catch not this rainy season, September, but maybe the middle of 2015. But they are going ahead nonetheless.
0: And there's lots of Chinese money coming into Tanzania, which is nice.
1: Yeah, Tanzania. You remember that the Premier of Tanzania, of, of China, when he was in South yeah. Africa for the BRICS meeting, one of the few countries he visited in Africa was Tanzania. And President Obama, one of yeah. the few countries he visited was Tanzania. So Tanzania is, and we talked about it last week, PricewaterhouseCoopers labeling it one of the top fastest growing economies and a real prospect going into the future. So it's just another thing. Double fold, I mean, twofold growth in, in, in foreign direct investments, increasing by 50% this year, thanks to the N- energy and mining sector, the very thing we are talking about. So they they were expected to clock three billion only this year. They did that last year already. And as I say, it's just it's just that the trade deficit is still very skewed in favor of China. Of course they take the minerals out and they they export into 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 Tanzania all kinds of products, finished products and, and electronic goods.
0: Uh, absolutely right. And let's then uh, look at Access Bank. I like this. Access yeah. bank yeah. they came all the way to Santan to get a prize. <laughs> yeah. Um, that they are the, have the best credit card in South Africa. Where's Access accessible In, in isn't
1: Africa. That, isn't that Where's for that? Twitter that they came Where's just as from? Nigeria? It's a Nigerian bank okay. founded in 1988 and 10 years later they were listed. They have now over 300 branches all over. They are in eight other countries except Nigeria and that one of those countries is the UK. So they are really a very, very well-established bank. But they grew their asset book, Bruce, by 100% in, in a very short time. So that is not a... But if, if I can tell you, going to East Africa, going into Zambia, you see that's one of the Nigerian banks that have grown outside of But it's because of their, I think, governance. It's because of their, their ability to embrace e-payment. Remember... Nigeria was very much a cash society so any player who made it possible for the cashless society or the seeds of the cashless society to be planted in Nigeria is a winner but this bank is a real winner I can I can vouch for their success and I've seen them in a lot of other countries and I know I mean you know if you make it in the UK and you know, in a Nigerian bank you must be worth something
0: there we go Victor Homuswana with the Africa Business Report on a Tuesday night